Previously on Discover the Word, we began a two-part study of the New Testament book of 1 John. And early on, Daniel Ryan Day gave us helpful context in which to put what Jesus' friend and disciple John was writing. What he's talking about is very experiential. John's one of the few people that could write this type of treatise or essay. Picture an old guy and he's beginning to share the wisdom or the epilogue to the story of the Gospel of John. It's not a story that he heard about from someone else. It's a story that he saw, that he heard, and that he touched. And I think if we can embrace that as who the storyteller is, it may change the way that we see the rest of the letter. And so what are some of the things that John remembers as being the main ideas Jesus taught in the time they were together? Thinking back on his experience with Jesus, what did he want to include in this epilogue or follow-up of the Jesus story he wrote in the Gospel of John? Well, pull your chair up to the table, and we will continue our study of 1 John here on Discover the Word. And this is part two of this study of 1 John with Daniel Ryan Day, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasul Berry here on the Discover the Word podcast. Now, in this episode, we'll talk about our identity, about the priority of love in our relationships, about the supernatural nature of spiritual deception, some important topics, and understanding that John is reflecting and remembering what Jesus said about those issues makes these really important conversations we'll be having over the course of the next hour. Now, the Apostle John, this wise old man whose life had been so changed by the time he spent with Jesus and by his years of dedication to spreading the message of his friend and mentor, well, that gives real credibility to what we find here. And so if you're ready, let's join Daniel and Elisa and Bill and Rasul as they continue to work through First John. For anyone who missed last week's series, which, I mean, let's be real, you just need to go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> just push pause. Yeah, just come push back. pause. But, but yeah. just in case they don't have the time, what do we explore? First John. Yeah. <laughs> First John, good. yeah. Well, that's what you got out of it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <there's laughs> I guess that's a good start. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we were focusing on. And I think we all kind of agreed that the way you set it up with this wise old sagey guy kind of sitting on a porch reflecting on life and spooning out wisdom to some folks who are sitting there with him uh, is kind of an endearing mm -hmm. image that we wouldn't mind being part of. He's a real guy who had a real relationship with the real Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. in the flesh. And he wrote the Gospel of John, and now he's like doing almost an epilogue to it, you know, a summary of it, and like an essay or a sermon form. It's not as story-based as the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John's mm -hmm. filled with story, but also filled with a lot of revelation of who Jesus was. He really pulls out the main ideas yeah. of what we're going to look like when we belong to God. Yep. Yeah, and one of those main ideas is what we still see in the Gospel of John in the first chapter, which is this idea of light and darkness mm -hmm. and how we want to be in the light because God is light. But there's this real threat, this real mm -hmm. foreboding mm -hmm. right. temptation to be drawn into darkness. Yeah. One of my favorite writers is Dr. Richard Hayes. 
and he's written a bunch of stuff. But one of his books is Echoes of the Scriptures in the Gospels, mm-hmm. where he shows how the Gospels interact with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing in First John is almost like Echoes of the Gospel of John in First John, because mm-hmm. we've right. seen light and darkness abiding. There are all mm-hmm. kinds of themes in John that are told in the context of story, and those ideas are now kind of fleshed out in a more empirical way, I think, in First John. Yeah. yeah, and that's really how last week ended, mm-hmm. was, and now little children abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. At the very beginning of First John, he says that he's writing so that they can have fellowship, so that their joy could be made complete. And then at the end of last week, we saw it was so that they could have confidence mm. in this message that they've heard with the invitation to abide. Yeah. So as we kind of transition to chapter three of First John, let's keep that old wise man in the back of our minds as we read these verses. First John three, verses one through three. Rasul, will you read that? See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Is that not an amazing paragraph of scripture? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And like everything we've seen so far, it's very practical. Yeah. I mean, it's right there on the living level. It's and not it's theoretical. also soaring yeah, to the right. heights at the same time. Yeah, and it's also heavy and dense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know when you like hear one of those old hymns that was written from someone who toward the end of their life and they've been walking with God a long time and it just has language in it that yeah. just brings you in. That's what I see here. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Whew. Those three ideas, love, we're loved by God, that he's a father, he's a loving father toward his kids. Mm. Children of God, that we are his kids and then the emphasis at the end and that is what we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard you know, someone shared this and I thought it was a great insight because sometimes people can read when John identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This mm-hmm. is like braggadocious. Right. Thing. Uh-huh. Like he's boastful about it. But another way of looking at it is to say he never got over the fact that Jesus loved him. Yeah. Yeah. He was so enamored with that, yeah. mm-hmm. that that was the most important thing about him. Who are you? What have you done? I'm the one that Jesus loved. Yeah. yeah. And you see it here. Actually, maybe, you know, he's gotten to the right place that we all need to get to. Yes. You know, he got there and he's a model for us. And yeah. it's from that perspective that he's sharing all of this. Mm-hmm. We just so self-shame and self-exclude, you know, from God's provision for us. And so I like that, Russell. You know, maybe we turn it around and go, no, actually... That's the name tag I need to wear as well. My mind went the same place, especially, Daniel, when you reread that. There's almost a sense of amazement. Mm -hmm. John's writing these words. That's what we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you get your mind around that? No, but it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so when he uses language like beloved, I almost wonder if it's like that idea that he was so loved by Jesus he was the disciple Jesus loved, had become so much a part of him that he couldn't help but call them beloved mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, he's not necessarily saying they're beloved of him, 
but like him, they are beloved mm-hmm. of God. Right. But then he goes on to say, like, because you are children of God, with emphasis there, the world doesn't know you mm-hmm. anymore. And this directly ties to how the gospel of John starts. Could somebody read John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13? And this is about Jesus, but think about how now John is talking about Jesus's followers. So this is John 1, 10 through 13. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yeah, and so I I just see like direct relationship between those ideas. Just like the world didn't recognize Jesus or know what to do with him, including his own people, so the world will not be able to recognize Jesus' followers as children of God because it's just a whole other, right? And so why might an old wise man want his hearers to know that? Well, you know, I just picture it with my grandkids. You know, the main thing I want them to know from me is that I love them no matter Mm -hmm. what. And yes, of course, that God loves them no matter what. So it's like the main message you want to leave them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also you keep talking about the wise old man and the maturity of years and the learning of life and all those different things. He's not just talking theoretically. Mm -hmm. He's experienced this Mm -hmm. in his own life, and he wants him to know just because you're a child of God doesn't mean life gets easy. I mean, that's one of the hardest lessons, especially the way I think for a number of decades evangelism was done. You know, just trust in Jesus and all your problems will go away and what a lie that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you trust Jesus and you now have the greatest person in the universe to go through those problems with you, but the problems don't go away. Mm-hmm. And yep. just to help them frame their thinking about what their experience as a follower of Christ could be yeah. is part of that wisdom that I think he's passing along. Yeah, that's what I hear here as well, especially when you think about some of the things he's calling his people who are hearing this letter read mm-hmm. to do. Love your brother and sister. Don't hate them. <laughs> what does that not mean? It doesn't mean that they're going to love you back. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that he's calling his hearers to do, to abide, mm-hmm. to not deny the father and the son, all of that. Meaning there are people that do all those things. Right. And so it's this wisdom that's kind of a warning. This doesn't mean everything's going to be great. I'm warning you, it's not going to be great, but it's going to be the best thing. Yeah, I think this aspect of the centrality of love and relationships, like I Mm -hmm. kind of, especially from the perspective of hindsight, like I think of It's a Wonderful Life and this idea of being like, look at what I missed or look at what I didn't appreciate that was in front of me or Mm -hmm. a Christmas story, right? You know, where Mm -hmm. you look back in the past. And so these folks who had wealth or had opportunity, had these things, consistently go back and say it's the relationships yeah it's the love that i miss that's right and that's what he i feel like is kind of getting back at when you're younger you can kind of believe if i just accomplish enough if i just and then we just add god to it if we're spiritual right if i accomplish (laughs) enough for god (laughs) then i will be significant Mm -hmm. he's like no 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 your significance lies in who you are and whose you are, not what you do. Yeah, and who is that? You are children of God. That is who you are. That's Mm -hmm. who you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I read a story about the apostle John. John had just finished preaching. You know, he's an old man. He just finished preaching on love again. And one of his young students came to him and said, 
sir, all you ever preach about is love. <laughs> and he said, that's because that's what matters most. Mm-hmm. And I think we hear the echo of that here as he talks about all these impacts of what you were just describing, Russell. Yeah. One thing I think would be helpful is just to address a couple confusing ideas that are important to note. Like what we will be has not yet been revealed. Mm-hmm. So you just said we're children of God. What does that really look like, though? Mm. I, I don't know. Right. It's kind of what he's saying. But what's interesting is sometimes in Christianity, we spend a whole lot of time thinking about what life's going to be like after whatever. And it's like he's saying, no, 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 that that gets beside the point. The bigger point, and he even says, what we do know is this. When he's revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Mm. Another one of those like historic hymn moments of mm-hmm. writing there. And so it's like he's saying, one day we're going to see who God really is. And it's going to be like, oh, that's what it means to be in the image of God. Mm. Oh, that's what it means to be God's children, mm-hmm. which I think is another important idea in this. And then the last one is all who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. What does that mean? <laughs> well, again, I think he's once again putting some hands and feet on an mm-hmm. idea He's giving them something to live out in response to Jesus' commands. Yeah. It's not all up to us to make mm-hmm. ourselves look like God, but it is up to us to align, to abide, to, to participate. Uh-huh. The old wise man is smiling at his listeners that day <laughs> as he gets to share with them some of the best news he has ever experienced and that is good news for them and good news for us too. He's seen it, he's heard it, he's touched it, he's experienced it. God is a father, overflowing with love for his kids. And we, you and I, along with all those who have heard this for generations, we are those kids. That's pretty cool. That's who we are. (laughs) There's a somewhat shocking moment in the Gospel of John. Okay, there's quite a few, but but (laughs) one in particular that I want to draw our attention to We've already talked about how the author of 1 John is kind of like an old wise man who experienced the Jesus story in a very real tangible way. And then this essay is him kind of riffing on that and sharing his wisdom of what he's learned. I think there's a particular moment in the Jesus story that really stuck with him. And I think it really influences what we see in this next section of 1 John. So first, let's revisit where John the disciple was when Jesus said this shocking thing. Bill, could you read John 13, 23 for us? This is the upper room. Lying back on Jesus's chest was one of his disciples whom he loved. Wow. Right? Like, I still can't get over that. And that's a verse that I've read so many times and never really thought about the fact that that's how close John is to Jesus. Alisa, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. read what happened in the upper room. This is one of the things that Jesus says. And so perhaps John's still laying on Jesus' chest as Jesus is saying this. This is John 13, verses 31 through 35. When he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now. Where I'm going, 
you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will come to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What makes that shocking? What does Jesus say? What is he giving them? A new, a new command. command. A new mm-hmm. command. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think they're also just as shocked about the fact that he's going away. Well, that's what distracts them. Uh-huh. Immediately after this, their next question is, where are you going? Wait, where are you going? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why can't we come with you? Yeah. But before that, in a Jewish culture mm-hmm. where they have learned about commands their whole lives, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new one. Mm-hmm. That had to have been pretty shocking in that moment. And then what does he say? Love one another. And I think that might be the shocking part because <laughs> yeah. in the commands they had received before, there was a lot of stuff they were expected to do, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily to be motivated by love, or at least it wasn't expressed that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So think about that context, okay? John, head potentially laying on Jesus' chest. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. All of it, this is what I want you to remember love one another. Now let's read 1 John 3 verses 11 through 20 and think about that as the context that John experienced and how that might influence what he's writing here. So this is 1 John 3 verses 11 through 20. Elisa, if you want to get us started. Sure. So flash back to what we just read and that scene in the upper room as we're listening to these words. Okay. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. whole lot of love one another's in there, huh? Mm-hmm. What jumps out to you in that, that passage? The part that gets my attention is the last part where he says, and God knows everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's either threatening or <laughs> comforting, comforting. Yeah, exactly. depending right. on where you're coming from. Yeah. And do you see just all of the layers of everything we've already talked about is starting to show up in here, right? Like... Love your brother and sister, don't hate them. A specific relationship has been resonating through me in most of these conversations, and that's the relationships that we have with siblings, if we have siblings. And, you know, I I grew up in a a family where I have two half-brothers, a stepsister, and a regular sister and brother. Okay, so that's complicated. But I know that my half-brothers tried to have a, or older, tried to have a relationship with me over the years, and now that I'm old... I really do appreciate it, and I love them differently than I thought that I imagined I would. And I look down the other way, and I look at my children, 
And I remember the picky, nitty fights that they would have. And, She's touching me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> quit, make her quit touching me. Yeah. And I remember one day I made them sit down cross-legged across from each other on the floor and just sit there and look at each other for like three or four minutes, which is just sheer torture, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I made them just look at each other and realize they didn't. But anyway, this is going to be the longest relationship of your life, wow. most likely. So mm-hmm. learn to get along and learn to appreciate the gift that it is. Well, that mm-hmm. whole love one another is resonating with me in a much bigger way. That's the command. You know, that's the command to love one another like that. And it, it takes great commitment. It takes, you know, putting your judgment in the back seat. They may do life differently, but it takes this stick to this mm-hmm. I'm going to stay no matter what kind of thing. And I'm going to make the effort at Christmas or whatever. And that's where I keep going every time we go into this love one mm-hmm. another and then popping it out from, of course, our mm-hmm. siblings to our our celestial siblings, you know, and even those that don't yet know Jesus. You know, do I have that kind of commitment to people in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, am struck once again by the foundation of where this comes from. He goes back to Jesus. Yeah, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Mm-hmm. Direct line. Yeah. yeah, You know, look at the love of Jesus. Look at what he did. And then he, if that wasn't clear enough, okay, let me break it down even further. <laughs> if you have the world's goods and see some a brother or sister in need. Yeah. Are you helping them? Because mm-hmm. if you are, that's love. If you're not, then that's not love. It keeps getting more and more practical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? He's given us some real concrete ways to know how well we're loving others. The phrase that really jumps out to me is we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Hmm. Not because I said a prayer, not because whatever, fill in the blank, because I believe a certain thing. We know we've passed to death to life because we love one another. That's how big of a deal this love for one another is. And it's in this contrast of hate, right, as the opposite. And you have this little warning in here that relates to a different conversation we have. Don't be astonished that the world hates you. Mm. And so immediately my question is, well, why? Why would they hate us? Well, if the whole thing is they're just loving one another, Mm. right? And following Jesus's new command to love one another, that should be why the world hates you because that's how loving you are. That's not why the world typically gets <laughs> struggles with us. Because, right. man, no. those Christians, they are just uh, too uh. loving. That's the problem with them. Right. Right? No, we're hypocritical and judgmental and mean. and yeah. I can only imagine if that's how loving we were, mm. that mm. that's what bothers other people about us. And to go back to a previous conversation, that would be one reason why they could be referred to as anti-Christs, because they're against not only Christ, but the things that he's calling us to be and do in his name. That's right. And what does this love for one another look like? It's exactly what you were pushing us toward, Rasul. It's the opposite of hate. It's Mm -hmm. laying down our lives for others, just like Jesus laid down his life for us. Verse 17, noticing those in need and helping them. And then verse 18, one of the the verses I had to memorize as a kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Little children, let us love not in word or speech, Mm -hmm. but in truth and action. And that one... Man, I could just remember my mom saying that so many times, (laughs) right? And so then the old wise man ends this section with the passage that Bill mentioned really jumped out to him. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Mm -hmm. 
What do you hear in that? Well, the fact that he knows everything and he still doesn't condemn us. I mean, mm-hmm. he knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. Yeah, yeah because our hearts are going to condemn us. Right. God's well, isn't that interesting? That. And it's so true. I mean, we've yeah. talked about shame and all that so many times that that's what keeps us hiding from God. Yeah, yeah I think about that verse, you know, that song, Prone to Wander. Mm-hmm. Lord, I feel. Yeah, that. right. And it's like, yeah, but guess what? The God of your heart is greater than your mm-hmm. heart and even its failures. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, if we kind of fast forward, we haven't read this yet, but if we fast forward to the end of chapter three, he kind of just summarizes this whole idea in a really beautiful way. And again, I hear that upper room. John was there. Mm-hmm. And I hear that very much in this part of First John. First John 3, verses 23 through 24. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, mm-hmm. just as he commanded us. When? When I was laying my head against his chest and he said, I'm giving you a new command to Mm. love one another. Mm -hmm. All who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. So all of it kind of comes down to this love for one another. And so, again, this old wise man (laughs) began this section emphasizing the amazing love of the father who loves his children. And then he transitions to basically say, you know, old wisdom an apple doesn't fall far from the tree Hmm. so this love of the father that has so impacted us is the love that we should show to one another yeah love is a key piece of the gospel of jesus christ because that is where all this goes like john we marvel that we are a disciple that jesus loves and then that makes us want to show that same love to others. It's the life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed John and that changes us today. Well, because love is the heart of the message of 1 John, we'll come back to it again the deeper we get into what John wrote. But before we get to that, we come across another important idea John wanted to share with his readers. And it has to do with being able to know when someone is telling us the truth about what it means to follow Christ and when they're not. John says, test the spirits. And so we'll take a segment to explore that right after this reminder about the special project that we'd like our Discover the Word family to consider being part of. Discover the Word is a Bible engagement resource of Our Daily Bread Ministries. And it is not the only resource that we provide. We have printed devotional material like the Our Daily Bread and a wide variety of books and study guides. We have other audio and podcast resources. We have a wealth of Bible engagement material online. And we do a lot of work with video that helps the scriptures come alive. Video like The Holy Land with Dr. Jack Beck. This unique video Bible study series shows you the places where biblical history happened points out to you the distinctive geography of those regions, and in reality has the potential to transform the way you read your Bible. Jack was our guest here on Discover the Word a few weeks ago, and we talked to him about the impact of this Holy Land video series. And so here is our friend Jack to say a bit more about why seeing where the Bible takes place is so important. The observation 
I hear most often when I'm in Israel, people will say to me, man, this has completely changed the way I read my Bible. I'm seeing geography I never saw there before. And so it's my hope that as people have the opportunity to engage this video series, they will be changed as Bible readers. Yeah, that's been our experience whenever we've had Jack at the table with us here at Discover the Word. And that's been the overwhelming response to this Holy Land video series. When you watch, I'm confident that you'll see how valuable Jack's video visits to Israel are. Well, right now, our film crew is preparing to go with Jack to film a fourth and final season of The Holy Land. Lord willing, they will be going over in September. But taking a crew overseas is expensive, and costs have risen dramatically, like 30 to 40% over previous seasons of this series. And that's why we're asking you to partner with us. All donations that come into Discover the Word from now through the end of June will go to cover the costs of Jack and the crew going to Israel to film the Season 4 material. To donate, go to discovertheword.org, click the Donate tab, and you can give right there at discovertheword.org. And now let's listen as Daniel and Elisa and Bill and Rasul have that conversation about why John says that discernment is an essential skill for all followers of Christ. What does the phrase, don't believe everything you hear, mean? And I was also thinking, I've heard another phrase, just because you see it in print doesn't make it true. Uh I used to think, okay, I didn't hear about it, but I saw it. I saw a picture of it. And now you can't even trust Mm -hmm. that because of Photoshop. That's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with graphic artists and the magic that they can do with Photoshop and programs like that can make you believe that somebody was present at a thing when they weren't even alive yet. Even Mm -hmm. videos and what comes out of people's mouths. I mean, dogs can talk now. Did you know that? So I think that phrase means the reality that there are things that are out there that are not true. You know, just because something is said does not Mm -hmm. mean that it should be believed or Mm -hmm. considered accurate. Yeah. And I think we often hear that, especially in relationship to gossip. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody told me this about so-and-so. Well, just because you heard it doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think about there's a phrase that I've started to use. Because there's no worse feeling for me than when I share something that's that I discover <laughs> is not true. Uh-huh. Like, you know, something I pass on and, you know, you want to Like in get a first. sermon illustration. <laughs> yeah, or some other thing. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, there have been this phrase called information hygiene. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of basically oh. checking and yeah. verifying things. Yeah. Sometimes multiple times from multiple sources mm-hmm. so that you're not in that place of passing along misinformation because people have gotten really good at Mm -hmm. I work a lot with college students in my role at Our Daily Bread. And one of the research pieces that has come out of that is college students have unprecedented access to information unlike any time in the history of the world, right? And we all feel that. But as a result of that unprecedented access to information, they struggle to know what's true or Mm -hmm. false, Mm -hmm. especially as it relates to news, like fake news versus real news. And of course, that doesn't just apply to college students. All of us struggle with that Mm -hmm. at times. And that's what I kind of hear in these phrases. Don't believe everything you hear just because you see it in print or on the internet or in a photo or in a video doesn't Mm -hmm. make it true. So in this conversation, I want us to kind of listen for some of the advice of this old man, (laughs) this old wise man, who might be trying to help us determine 
things that are true and not true. And I think we might hear that as we look at 1 John chapter 4, at least the beginning of it. Bill, would you read 1 John 4 verses 1 through 4 for Mm. us? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them, for the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Oof. A lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, first of all, how does he begin? What's that first word there? Beloved. And love we've it, talked about it. how, you know, not only was he the disciple Jesus loved or described himself that way, but it became so much a part of who he was that he sees others in this similar light, mm-hmm. right? Like he was never saying, I'm the one that Jesus loves and he doesn't love you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm the one Jesus loves and you can be too. Mm-hmm. And we see that right here at the beginning. And then he kind of begins to like dig into this idea of, being careful with what you believe. Um, Where do we see that in this? Well, it just follows it right up. Test the spirits to Mm -hmm. see whether they are from God. And then talks about all the false prophets, the spirit of the Antichrist. And he gives a discerning Mm -hmm. tool. You know the spirit of God because every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. That's Mm -hmm. to be trusted. But anybody who doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. It's a pretty good litmus test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it reminds us of an earlier conversation we had in First John where he talks about antichrists have come into the world and one of the primary characteristics of them is they deny Jesus as the Messiah, they deny the Father and the Son, and they're deceptive. One of the main things, and this is why some scholars think that John was addressing a problem of Gnosticism in the late first century is he says they don't believe Jesus has come in the flesh. Mm-hmm. They're denying the actual bodily incarnation of Jesus right, in a human because body. that's what the Gnostics yeah. denied. Yeah. And even before the Gnostics, there was Docetism, yeah. which is an early heresy that denied Jesus had a physical body. So instead, he had more of a phantom or angelic-like mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. But it's important that he had a very real physical body because on the cross, if he didn't have a real body, then he didn't really die. You know, there are a lot of struggles in belief going around even in our current generations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of one I read in a study recently of those who don't believe the Holy Spirit was an actual person in the Trinity, an actual expression of the Godhead. And I think, we're, how do you get there? Mm-hmm. And, and yet, don't believe everything you think is true, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. We can propagate Mm -hmm. misinformation in such a way. So, you know, John is speaking to that prevalent Mm -hmm. misunderstanding, but we may be asked today to test the spirits in a similar way to other misunderstandings Mm -hmm. that are going on right around us. Absolutely. And remember this old wise man, the reason this is such a helpful essay or letterish thing or whatever, is because he was with Jesus He saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he touched Jesus. So he's this eyewitness that's testifying to the real story Mm -hmm. so that these people that are hearing this letter read out loud, they didn't know Jesus physically or or Mm -hmm. be in his presence in the same way that John did. And so they're hearing this and they're being invited to trust John's experience as a result. And that's an important part of that. I'm struck by two aspects of this that the one that can feel very offensive I think to kind of modern 
sensibilities of that one don't believe every spirit seems to suggest that there's a supernatural presence or influence behind deception Mm -hmm. of a spiritual nature so like we don't typically in our culture Mm. we typically think of something being spiritual is completely positive and completely like Mm. good oh i'm spiritual it's like well what kind of spiritual (laughs) right because if you're being influenced by the wrong spirit then you can end up in the wrong space and so it's this intensely thorough emphasis on does the spirit acknowledge Jesus? Mm-hmm. And yet, even if the person doesn't, there's still this aspect that that doesn't give you the right to hate them. But mm-hmm. it actually, yeah. should, you should love because he's combining that because one of the aspects of Gnosticism, docetism is this de-emphasis on the physical world. Mm-hmm. And so this overemphasis on what I believe or know so it almost doesn't matter anymore how I actually treat people. And John is not letting us off the hook that way either. Yeah, that's good. And one thing that would be helpful is to think about that word spirit, because no doubt culturally they're thinking of spirits in the like false God sense of the term, demons or spirits, ghosts, things like that as well. But the word spirit is the word pneuma, which is wind, breath, the immaterial part of a person. So there's a sense in which spirits could also be like the hot air that we, mm-hmm. like when we say someone's full of hot air, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They're full of hot pneuma yeah. <laughs> in this, uh, this yeah. context. They're blowing yeah. and going. Yeah. yeah. So and, you're saying it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be an active but it could personal be. presence, but it could be. Yeah. yeah. And I think what you're helping us keep our finger on is the fact that deception isn't neutral in some way or just tied to physical or whatever. There's always this spiritual element mm-hmm. that's happening at the same time, yeah. right? Like clusters of lies yeah. exist and typically and we even talked earlier in the book about how satan tries to cover himself as light right Mm -hmm. he's trying to act like he's something else to deceive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the other thing that he pushes back on not just docetism and then gnosticism by saying whoever confesses that jesus came in the flesh but he also says that those who really get it confess that jesus came from god And the reason that's important is because there was already this early idea that maybe Jesus was just a regular dude that at his baptism, that's when the spirit of God came on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's when the work of Jesus becoming the Messiah began. Mm -hmm. And that's called adoptionism. And so he was just an average Joe before Mm -hmm. his baptism. So I almost wonder if John's kind of leaning into that too. He's like, look, on one hand, you have people that say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. On another hand, they're saying he didn't come from God, mm-hmm. but I was there. I laid my head against his chest. Not only was he real flesh, because I felt the warmth, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But he also came from God because you wouldn't have believed what we saw yeah. and witnessed. And so how does this section end? It ends with probably one of the most famous verses yeah. in mm-hmm. <laughs> First John. It ends up on a lot of coffee cups. Yeah. <laughs> And little songs. I love it. Yep. So will somebody read that for us? First John 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So what might this mean in this particular context relating to all these spirits floating around or hot pneumas? Well, there's a genuine (laughs) spirit and there are counterfeit spirits Mm -hmm. and the spirit that resides in God's child is the genuine spirit mm-hmm. and will give victory in some of these things. Yeah. Because he's greater yeah. than yeah. all the other spirits. Yeah. yeah. There's also this flashback that I'm getting mm-hmm. to, you know, you will have trouble in this mm-hmm. world, but take heart because mm-hmm. I have overcome the world. That's right. John yeah. 1633. Yeah. The old wise man is making it real clear here 
there might be a lot of spirits floating around, Mm -hmm. but the spirit of God, he's not in competition, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is not a race in which God is like, I hope I win. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) God's spirit wins hands down, no competition. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, which is such great encouragement from this old wise man. And again, to go back to the gospel of John again, just the fact that John can repeat the one that is in you because Jesus had mm. said to his followers, mm-hmm. the spirit has been with you. He now will be in you. you. Can we just pause for a second and realize how wild this is to say about somebody that you hung out with? Sometimes people will say, you know, like with the whole like, well, Jesus became a legend mm-hmm. because people like just kind of almost lionized them after the yeah. fact. Mm-hmm. How wild is it for somebody that was close enough to be like, you know, what's up, <laughs> hanging bro? out had, with had laying on his like, shoulder? This man is divine. Yeah. Like, you know, because you've seen him up close and personal. You've seen everything yeah. about him. And that's still where he lands. That says something. Yeah, important words and wise advice from John as he reflects back on his time with Jesus and on his years of spreading the gospel since test the spirits. Don't believe everything you hear. There is a supernatural dimension to spiritual deception. Well, as we head into the home stretch of this study of 1 John, we come to the bottom line thing that John wants everyone to know about Jesus that can draw us into relationship with God. I really do think this is the heart of 1 John. Mm. This really is the heart behind the whole treatise letter-like thing, essay, whatever we want to call it behind First John. And so what is the heart of John's message? Well, that is what we'll discover and explore in these last two segments of our conversations about First John. One of the things I've heard from older and wiser people in my life is the older I get, the less I know. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yes, I heard it put a different way by one of my all-time favorite Bible teachers, a guy named J. Vernon McGee, mm-hmm. he said it kind of the reverse. He said, I've never in my life been as smart as I was when I was a freshman in seminary, <laughs> uh, which is kind of a different take on the same That's idea. Yeah. yeah, I would say the less I know for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not as certain about so many things. I used to be much more black and white and certain confident mm-hmm. of things and now i'm like well maybe yeah and that's not just anybody that might be confused because as you get older you just forget things <laughs> um but okay. i think there's more of an awareness of the things you thought you knew you really don't know yeah and that there are a lot more uncertainties yes that exist than what you previously acknowledged mm-hmm. and that's definitely been true in my case i sometimes cringe at the kind mm, of strident yeah. overconfident Yes. You know, person I was, especially when you fuse yeah. that zealous youth with faith. And again, there's some good things that come from that, that course, passion. Yeah. But then there's also some sense of like, ooh, I wish I could have that conversation. <laughs> <back."> <laughs> yeah. I, when I think back, I've told this to somebody recently that as I get older, there are fewer and fewer things that I would think are worth fighting over. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. things that I do think are worth fighting over are more worth it than they ever were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, about some of those older, wiser men in my life who are believers, and some of them will take it a little bit of a step further. They'll say, the older I get, the less I know for sure, but the more confident I am in the fact that God is love. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of one person in particular, his name's Mart, (laughs) (laughs) but don't tell Mart I called him old, of Mm, course. Uh, But there's this sense in which some of the older and wiser people that I've spent time with There's this relational, I don't know what you want to call it, 
equity, confidence, consistency over walking with God for a long time, that they've just grown to experience his love in such a real tangible way. And it starts to become the frame or the lens through which they see so much more things than they saw maybe at a different time in their life. I've found myself thinking about this a lot, and especially as we think about this old wise man who had a very tangible and real experience with God and with Jesus's love by laying his head on Jesus's chest. And I want to know God that personally and tangibly, like some of these people that I'm talking about do. And so I'd like to think about this last section that we're going to look at. We're going to look at it over the next two conversations, because I really do think this is the heart of First John. Mm. We're going to read chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. It's a little bit longer of a section, but I don't think any of us are going to care because it's just <laughs> so rich and good. This really is the heart behind the whole treatise letter-like thing, essay, whatever we want to call it behind First John. So picture the old wise man on his worn rocking chair in front of his older house, and he gets to this part of his sharing with those who are listening to him. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Bill, will you get started for us? Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us the spirit. And as we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. That's some good stuff, isn't it? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. all of us have ended up here at some point in their life dealing with either that God loved us first or that he sent his son or that there's Mm -hmm. no fear in love or that, you know, I mean, it just preaches, you know, the Holy Spirit just brings you to this. Yeah. I wish all of our listeners could see this in the notes. I drew out verses seven through 10 in Greek because I wanted you, you to see that it's a poem. It has a very poetic structure. Whereas in our English Bibles, we miss that verses 7 through 10 are poetic. And the reason I thought that was helpful is because it shows us that there's some kind of collection of ideas here that either John himself wrote or that he's kind of riffing off of and then walking through with the rest of the verses. Hmm. 
And we feel it, though, when we read it. We may not see it, but you kind of feel the poetic nature. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You kind of get this like flowy feel in English, but I just thought that was interesting. You know, it's interesting too, Daniel. I've, I've heard it turned into a song mm-hmm. and that, that makes sense. So how does it start? Beloved, let us love one another. Mm-hmm. So again, notice the old wise man's love for his hearers, that love that's become so much a part of him that it's overflowing. And then let us love one another. We've kind of already talked about that just a bit in First John, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Just are, a bit. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the uh, places where we've seen that? Well, if you have this world's goods and see your brother and sister in need and you don't respond to them, how can you say you love them? Yep. And if you love others, you're abiding in God. If you don't, you're not. Mm-hmm. And walk in the light. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to walk in the light? To love your brother and sister. If you hate your brother and sister, you're walking in darkness. Mm-hmm. So we've seen this like all the way through the letter. And poetically here, what he's saying is kind of, and let this just get stuck in your head. Beloved, love. You are loved, so love. You might remember I did a series one time for Discover the Word called Beloved. Mm -hmm. And the main ideas were, you are beloved, so therefore be loved, and therefore be love. Mm -hmm. And it's so helpful to just look at that word and think all three of those are in it. And there's a foundational idea here that I think is really important to spend some time on, and this will be what we spend most of this conversation on, but the phrase, God is love, that's the foundation yeah. here, right? That's the heart here. The verb is, right, is a is the verb to be, and it's the very essence of someone or something, mm. right? It's the very thing of who they are. So when we want to describe God to someone, how do we describe mm. what God is? Well, oh, uh, he He's love. Like the very essence of what love is, is God. And the very essence of who God is, is love. And notice it doesn't say like God loves or God shows love. Mm -hmm. Right. What does it say? God is love. Is love. Core to the essence of his being. Mm. And this goes all the way back to a series, Bill, you led us on. The first time God decides, I'm going to introduce myself Mm -hmm. to Moses. Now he kind of does at the burning bush as I am. But then he expounds on what that means later in Exodus 34. How does he introduce himself? He says, compassionate, full of loving kindness, which is chesed, Mm. that rich Old Testament word we've talked about so many times. Everything about what he says, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that's who he is, and that's what he wanted this Mm. covenant people to know about him, Mm. having entered into the covenant relationship together. I look at Exodus 34, 6 as the Old Testament version of God is love. Mm -hmm. Here at the very beginning of the Bible in book two, Exodus, God introduces himself as love. Here toward almost the end of the Bible in 1 John, God is love. Mm. That is the overarching story of the Bible is that God is love. His very essence is love. And so because he is love, he can be the source of love, Mm. right? And one of the things that we've been talking about through this letter-like thing is that when God's love becomes so much a part of who we are, it then overflows Mm -hmm. to others. And so what is the love described in this that God shows? What are the characteristics of that love that might then help us become loving people? Well, he proved his love in that he Mm -hmm. sent his only son into the world to give us life. Mm -hmm. And, And he says... In this is love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent yeah. his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Yeah, so God sent his son, his son chose to die. So we see this like 
love that's sacrificial yeah mm-hmm. in verse nine yeah there's also this built-in sense that love is forgiving mm-hmm. yep. because he mentions that perfect love casts out fear yeah and that fear has to do with punishment right so the love that god extends which obviously in him sending this his son and the whole point to it was to forgive, to offer forgiveness to those who you love. Yeah. Isn't that tender that he pulls that out? Mm-hmm. He could have used a lot of different emotions there, a kind of sense of not being valuable or, you know, all kinds of words, but he, he chooses fear and fear mm-hmm. of punishment. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, our greatest struggle, we've talked about many times, is the, the shame of who we are mm-hmm. and what we've done. And he just slices through that, beloved, he calls us, and then yeah. perfect love casts out fear of punishment. And if that is a quality of what true love is, a love that pushes away fear, Mm -hmm. that helps us realize when we think we're loving, but we're not being loving because we're increasing fear. So it's a love that's sacrificial. It's a love that pushes away fear. It's a love that pursues before it's pursued, Mm -hmm. right? We love because he first loved us, which reminds me of Romans 5, 8, which has always been one of my favorite verses in the Bible. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So it's a love that pursues us even before it's pursued. It's a love that transforms us and forgives us in verse 11. And I think it's also important to point out, just as I think about a cultural misunderstanding that oftentimes people would say love is God Mm -hmm. and that's not what it's saying that's good God is love Mm -hmm. so for me to understand what love is I have to know God and all Mm. of his essence and being not a predetermined definition of love that I then try to oppose and say is divine. So going back to how we started this conversation we have this old wise man sitting on the worn rocking chair front of his old house and he looks at us and says you know there's a lot i don't have figured out but one thing i know and when i say i know i don't mean just in my head i mean i heard it i mean i saw it i mean i touched it god is love it's who he is it's what he does and that love changes everything Experiencing the love he saw in Jesus for him changed John's life, and it can change yours, too. The amazing bottom-line message of 1 John. Well, in the last segment of the study, we're going to be reflecting on what's really important in life. What do you want to be most known for? For your career, for your wealth, how much money you made, for your connections, the people you know, or for your love? In 1 John, this aging disciple reflects over his life and repeatedly points his readers back to love. And so we'll wrap this up after we take a moment to look ahead to our next Discover the Word podcast. For our next two Discover the Word podcasts, we're going to be talking about something that is a part of our life experience a number of times every day. We're talking about food. Now, food can be a great part of life. But it's also something our guest for these conversations, Margaret Feinberg, says we definitely have a love-hate relationship with. We live in a world where there is so much conflict and pain when it comes to food. I know for me, food has been an area that I have struggled with. And I know that I'm not the only one. Yeah, but as we spend time with Margaret, she's going to take us to some sections of scripture that will help us to see food in a whole new light. Food, in essence, is God's love made edible. Hmm. 
that if we learn to move from seeing food merely as commodity or fuel, but that every bite is a gift of God's provision, His goodness, His love, His faithfulness, that perhaps in that we can be a people who taste and see God's goodness. Yeah, join the group for some conversations with Margaret Feinberg called Taste and See on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now, the conclusion of this study of 1 John here on the Discover the Word podcast. We've had nine conversations now about this letter-like thing that John's writing. What are some of the things that have really stuck out to you? I keep going back to the very first conversation, Daniel, when you pointed out that First John could be seen as a kind of an epilogue or summary of the Gospel of John and the big ideas that flow out of the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen so much connectivity between First John and the Gospel of John that that really makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes me want to sit down and read the whole thing and just really listen. And then the other image that you've brought out many times is this is a guy, you know, who was with Jesus in the flesh and he laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper and, you know, he was there at the resurrection, you know, he saw him after he rose. I mean, it's just all, he he knows what he's talking about. He saw his miracles and to know that he is putting down the big ideas of what it means to be a follower of Christ closer to the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And leaning heavily into what that relationship was like is very rich. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how this has been helpful to remember. It's the same guy writing, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, I think sometimes the distance in the books between John being yeah. the fourth, you know what I mean, book in the New Testament and this being all the way all oh. at the end, that you forget it's yeah. the same guy. Yeah. And so it was really helpful to remember that, of course, the same person that was so touched and inspired by Jesus loving him, he continued to refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, Mm -hmm. is now the same one who's saying God is love and beloved love each other. Mm -hmm. Like it makes sense, but sometimes in my own mind, I've not Mm -hmm. made that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the first conversation reading a novel where there was an epilogue at the end, And that's what we see John here doing, this old wise man sitting on a worn rocking chair, sitting on the stoop, sitting on his porch, whatever it is in front of an older house, surrounded by a few people that, you know, there's, there's just those people that we're drawn to Mm -hmm. because what they say, we want to hear everything they say. Mm -hmm. Rasul, you mentioned early on, uh, Miss Opal Lee, Mm -hmm. right? And there's just some people that when you get in their presence, you want to hear what they have Mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. And in our last conversation, we looked at kind of the heart behind this whole letter-like thing, the foundation he's been building off of, which is this idea that God is love. And I would love to get to chapter five, but I think we'll just encourage one another to go read chapter five based on everything we've read, because I just want to spend at least one more conversation talking through First John 4, 7 through 21 again, which again is a larger section, but it's just so beautiful that I think it's worth just sitting with. So let's start First John 4, verses 7 through 21. Rasul, will you get us started? Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Hmm, So good. I want to draw our attention to a few different things. But before we do that, I just want to encourage anybody that just heard that read, if there was an idea or something that really stood out to you, like take a moment to internalize that and think about why God might have drawn your attention to that idea. Because I don't want our conversation from here on to distract from perhaps what God wants to do in you with that idea. What I want to draw us to is this phrase, no one has ever seen God yet. What happens after that phrase? What kind of is described? If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So even though we have not seen God, God can be somehow visualized in the way we treat each other. That's a big idea, isn't it? (laughs) It is. And, you know, we've had in church history, we see a lot of examples of that trying to be expressed. I mean, things like we are the hands and feet of Christ or, you know, different hymns. Mm -hmm. They'll know we are Christians by our love or, Mm -hmm. you know, take my life and let it be consecrated to be. Take my lips, take my feet, take my hands. You know, there's some beautiful ways. Um, I think it was St. Francis who said, preach Christ at all times, if necessary, use words. You know, so I think we've tried to grab a hold of that throughout the whole history of the church. Mm -hmm. Are we always successful? Of course not but it's a great goal. And it reminds me, you know, oftentimes John and throughout this letter has said, you've heard since the beginning, in the Uh beginning. Well, at the very beginning, God creates men and women and he makes them in his image. And sometimes it's really hard for us to like picture what that means. Mm. But I think John's giving us a hint here is what that looks like. When we love one another, we are bearing the image of God in a very real and tangible way for others. And that's pretty powerful. There's another element to that too. We talked all through these two weeks of conversations about how we see all of these big ideas from the Gospel of John showing up again in First John. That idea, no one has seen God mm. in John chapter one. Oh, that's good. No though. one has seen God at any time. His son, who comes from the very heart of the Father, yeah. reveals him to us. Yeah. That's good. And in other places where Jesus talks about no one has seen the Father, mm. yeah. and then goes on to describe how the actions and the love that he is showing is that representative exactly. of the Father. And how he and the Father are one. Yep. If we skip down to verse uh, 16, it says, God is love and those who abide Abide in love, abide in God, and God abides in them. We've talked a little bit about that word abide already, 
But that also relates us right back to John 15, Mm -hmm. where Jesus talks about abiding. And what is the metaphor in the gospel of John for abiding? Vine and branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. Any branch that's cut off from the vine, it withers, it's gathered Mm -hmm. to be burned. It's useless. But if you abide, if you remain in me, then you're still connected to the source of that life Mm -hmm. and you will produce and bear much fruit. And so there's that sense of abiding, which then he later goes on, that's connected to obedience. You love me if you obey what, you know, my commandments are. And so there's this dance that we see between abiding, which is just being in the presence of God, being with God. But also being with God means you're going to be like God and do what he's done. (laughs) That's that's how you continue to remain, you know, close. It's funny because on the one end, I get this and it feels simple. But then on the other end, it's like it does feel like we can miss this so easily (laughs) in the church circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like what's the takeaway? Like how do we actualize this, Mm -hmm. you know, so that it's not just like platitudes. Oh, you just love everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's actually something that actually transforms. I think that's a great question. And if I think about just the metaphor of a vine and branches, the branches actually do very little. Mm. They're a conduit for what the vine's doing as it brings it to the fruit. Mm -hmm. And now you need a healthy branch, Mm -hmm. right? So the the branch has to be healthy or whatever, but really the primary responsibility of the branch is just to hold on, (laughs) (laughs) to hold on and to allow it to be used Mm. for the nutrients that are coming out of the ground or hitting the leaves. Mm. They flow through the branch to provide the fruit. The fruit, the DNA of the fruit, the type of fruit it's going to be and all that, that's tied into the trunk and the roots, Mm. right? And so the branch... The responsibility is just to hold on, which is one of the themes we've seen throughout this letter-like thing is being faithful, Mm. right? Like there is a group that have walked away. They're the spirit of the Antichrist, Mm. but instead be faithful, hold on. And so I still think where we stub our toe is that doesn't feel like enough Mm. because we live in such a a performance achievement oriented culture that we're like, yeah, but what are the five steps to holding on? It's like step one, hold on. Step two, keep holding on. Step, like that's it. Right. That's, step that's what three, it looks like. Without me, you can't hold on. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the point is that that's what we're made for. Yeah. You know, we are made to hold on. Mm-hmm. And so when we do what we were made to do, that's enough. And when we even do struggle with holding on and even let go, mm-hmm. he doesn't let go of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that should shape the way that we see ourselves and others mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that he says there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because of course there's so many fears that could come to mind of like well what if i'm the branch cut off or what if i'm not faithful enough Mm -hmm. or what if i don't hold on tight enough or whatever and all of those are tied into fear yeah so this love is not just a love that invites us to hold on but it's a love that's like and when you're afraid don't be afraid because this love pushes that Uh, away too i think i get it now so it's like when you actually abide in Christ and his love, then you realize that's enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's enough to keep you there. It's enough to have you bear fruit. It's enough to mm-hmm. sustain you. Mm-hmm. And that's how we know that this is an old wise man writing to us because this guy spent so much time in the presence of Jesus, right? He didn't just hear it. He didn't just see it. Mm-hmm. He touched it. He had his head on Jesus' chest. And because of that, he can say, Abide in love, in God's love, because God is love, and that's enough. Thanks, Daniel. That is a great way to sum up this Bible study in 1 John. 
Wasn't that a helpful two-part study that we just wrapped up? Now, we like to say that Discover the Word is a small group Bible study in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And that is exactly what this study has done, I think. And so on behalf of Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry, thank you for joining us here on Discover the Word. As I said, Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, a Bible engagement ministry that's been telling the story of Jesus for over 85 years now. And we're grateful for these opportunities to study the scriptures together and also to provide you with other resources that enrich your Bible study. And so before we wrap up this episode, I want to take just a moment to tell you about the exciting project that we're working on with Our Daily Bread Ministries called The Holy Land, and it's season four. Right now, we're raising funds to send our friend and Bible geography expert, Dr. Jack Beck, to Israel, along with our film crew, to create 10 brand new episodes of our popular video series, Exploring the Holy Land. Currently, there are three prior seasons to the Holy Land, available for you to watch right now on our ODB YouTube channel or via our new Our Daily Bread Media Hub, which is at odb.org media. In every one of the videos, Jack takes viewers to a region of the land of the Bible and explains how the geography of that place impacts our understanding of Scripture. Every episode is a fascinating trip, but we do need your help at this point. As you can imagine, it's expensive to travel with a crew to capture the high-quality footage that characterizes a production like this. And so right now, when you give to Discover the Word, 100% of your donation will go towards production costs for The Holy Land Season 4. Your donation means that in the next year or so, a whole new set of these programs will be freely available for you and others to enjoy. So go to discovertheword.org, click Donate, and partner with us in making The Holy Land Season 4 with Jack Beck happen. Discovertheword.org, click Donate. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.